It wasn't until he was in the hospital dying, he was talking to his best friend. He's like, ah, oh, you gotta be proud of John, like what he's become. And I heard him, he said, Tony, John surpassed me years ago. That kid has hands of gold. I almost fell over. It's tough, you know, because I craved that my whole life. And to finally hear it, you know, it was hard. But he's the one who pushed me. So that's why I'm always trying to do better. Welcome to episode 130 of the AFT Construction Podcast. I'm Brad Levin. And today we have John Coppola with us, who's owner of Coppola Custom Woodworking. And John originally grew up in New York City. He learned the craft in New York City from his father, moved to Phoenix five years ago, and we dove into the difference between the trades and the market and the type of construction from New York to Phoenix. Also, that communication between general contractor and trade partner, You know how that integrates with customers, clients, designers, architects, and really some of the most difficult parts about his job, being a one-man person who's running all aspects of his business and why he chose to do so. And we dove into why that's important to think about your long-term goals and your short-term goals, how you communicate, what makes you happy, and what defines success, and especially the emotional connection he had with his father and mother and the inspiration they gave him. There's some amazing content, great inspiration from John. So without further ado, let's get started. And just a reminder to sign up for the Contractor Coalition Summit. It's that simple, contractorcoalitionsummit.com. Morgan and Jamie from Construction of Style, Nick Schiffer with NS Builders, and I will be hosting this. This will be in Nashville on Sunday, May 1st through Wednesday, May 4th. It'll change your business. Go sign up. We'll see you there. So welcome to the AT Construction Podcast. Today we have with us John Coppola. Welcome, John. Hey, thank you for having me. And John is, uh, he's the owner of uh, Coppola Custom Woodworking, and he's here local. And John and I I uh, have connected actually through Instagram. We've known each other, I don't know, yep. five, six years now. It's been quite a while. Yeah, about almost five years. That's yeah. so long. I met you almost uh, very shortly after I moved here. So what I love about, this is interesting. I, wa- I-, I want to speak about this because most people, when they move to a new area, right? It can be new. You came from New York to Phoenix. Yep. You're making this huge transition for you and your family, totally different market. You don't know anybody. Yep. You know, so how did you begin just pounding the pavement to start opening these relationships? So- to take it way back, like my father, I worked for him my whole life. He taught me work ethic, you know, put the work in and you'll get out what you put in. So I was doing great in New York. I had a great business. Um, we were getting tired of how expensive it was, how small your property was and how hard you had to work. So we decided to make the move here. And I'm all positive because my business is doing great. I'm, I'm booked up and then I move here, and literally the day I get here, I'm like, what did I do? <laughs> like, I don't know anything. I don't know where to get material. I don't know. I don't know anything. Right. Supply house, context, exactly. you know, lead generation. I mean, all this stuff is just a cold start. Cold start, starting from like scratch. So I set my shop up. I rented it from Craigslist from New York. Never even saw it. I just, so I, I drove all my equipment because I didn't trust anyone. So I drove all my equipment here, set up my shop, took me a little while. And then every time I'd go to Home Depot, I had a stack of cards. Anytime I saw a contractor that looked like someone I would want to work with, I'd hand him my card. I would drive around town to any construction sites. Hey, do you need this? Do you need that? And I was like giving my work away just to because I knew if people saw my work, they're going to want to hire me. Or that was my thought. So 
even one guy, uh, he was a contractor. It wasn't really work that I wanted to do, but he asked me how much. I said, let me work for you for the week. You pay me what you want to pay me at the end of the week. And, you know, tell me I'm worth, worth it. And I did that. And that, that worked out for a short term because um, I was noticing the differences at that point between New York and Arizona, where a lot of the contractors or building is so fast here that sometimes quality wasn't the issue. It was speed. Right. And I wasn't, that was hard for me to get used to. It's still hard for me to get used to. So what is that big difference when you look at your career in New York as opposed to in Arizona now five years? I mean, what is that distinction? So I would say within the last year, I'm starting to get to the place I want to be here where in New York, people want equality. And here it seems more that people ask me when I could get it done and my price. and. I get it. It's fast. And there's a lot of people here, but that's not the people I want to be. I want someone who wants me because they like my work. They like the way I build things, my designs, my finishes. I want someone to want my work, not, oh, he fits our timeline or he fits the price. Let's get him in. You know, I give an honest price and if it's too high or if it's low, you know, it's, it's whatever it is. But, um, for the first bunch of years, I was just doing work for people who it fit or the price was right or, you know, and, and some of the larger companies that I had to bid against were so cheap Yeah, in their cabinets. And it was, it, it, and I told them, I'm like, I'm not going to lower my prices to the, I'm not going to lessen my quality of a product just to meet a price line. I have a, I have a limit. I, I use certain materials like particle board here is very acceptable and I get it. The climate's different, but in New York, it's a four-letter word unless it's commercial. <laughs> so, right. you know, you go on site with particle board cabinets in a multi-million dollar house, you'll get thrown out. And here it's very acceptable. And the moisture is different. So I get that it could be a more sustainable or usable product here. I can't bring myself to do it. So my material costs right off the bat are like three times higher. You know, a sheet of plywood is almost a hundred bucks where a sheet of particle board is 30 bucks. Right. You know, um, but... Again, you know, when people start nitpicking those little differences at the end of the job, if it's an extra thousand dollars, if it was me, if it was my home, I'd want to pay the extra thousand and have something that I feel is a stronger, better, lighter cabinet than um, otherwise. Well, I, I want to come back to just really this pivot in your mentality as as you start to understand not not just your bandwidth and capability, but that relationship side. You know how. How that changes when you really understand, okay, here's my target demo. Here's who I'm going to, you know, market towards and this one I'm going to do. But before we get there, I think what's important is how do you, this is the biggest struggle I think most of us have is on paper, we may sit with the client and I do this for my side. A client says, Brad, I want you to be at X price to build my house, right? That maybe they've walked other homes or been other parts of the country and they see this home, but to on a piece of paper to say, well, here's the level of quality. Here's the product being installed. Like there has to be some education where they really understand, well, what's the difference between particle board and plywood, right? right. Why, why is this price more? And so it's really helping them understand the bid. And I think a lot of builders and a lot of clients have a hard time communicating that, that it is an upgrade and there's craftsmanship and there's a reason behind that. So do you feel that there's had to be some education with your contractors or clients? 
Yeah, I I, I do. Um, and I I kind of don't really give them that um, option of certain things. I'll tell them where I'll go, but the materials I choose are the materials I choose, and I would only do for myself what I would do for a customer, and and, and that's really the end be all. Like. Um, if I lose money on a job because I feel like it's the right move on a certain product and they're iffy on the price and I like the customer and I feel I'll give them the better product because at the end of the day, it's my name on there as well. So in six months, if the product I knew that would fail would fail, I'm not going to offer that. I'm not going to give it to them. And if I, if I really want to go ahead with the job, I'm going to eat that and, and go ahead and, and do it because again, it's my name and I know that my customer will benefit from it in the long run. And that'll produce, they'll call me back after that. So maybe I, I, I lose a little bit of material money, but I'll get it back. So I, I, I don't try to educate them too much because sometimes customers, they get confused with that and they think you're trying to pitch them on something. And I, although my father would always tell me I am a salesman, I, I'm a horrible salesman. <laughs> you know, I, I really am. I, I, I'm passionate about what I do. I love doing what I do. And I've been doing it for a very long time, so I know what works and what doesn't. And um, so, well, it's interesting. I think most builders, contractors, subcontractors, trade partners doesn't matter at what level that there comes a point when you start your company, and and we'll apply this to you, John, where you moved to Arizona, and although you had a ton of experience, you know, it's in a different market, different clientele. Now you're starting from fresh, so now, yeah, there has to be. Uh, not not so much a discount, but there is an education as far as, hey, I'm going to have some lost leaders because I'm building my reputation, right? So yeah, I'm going to do this work, pay me what you think I'm worth. You know, I'm going to pound the pavement and, and just kind of find my lane. But at some point, that switch flips, right? Where you're like, okay, now I've built a reputation. I've shown my quality. I have enough work where I can charge what I'm worth. And so that happens at some point where now you can really dictate your scope of work the lane that you want to be in working and not try to fight and be everything to everyone, but be specific to what you want to do and what's going to be, you know, your brand. Yeah. A hundred percent. And I feel like within the last year, that's kind of been fall, coming true to me because I was getting a little burnt out. I have to be honest, doing a lot of stuff that I don't want to say that I didn't want to do, but wasn't me. And um, now I'm starting to, I have more than one customer who's pretty much like they wanted a, a vanity a bathroom. They're like, do, do what you think is cool. Like no clue as to what they were getting until I installed it in their house. Like that's cool to me. And when I take on that project, I know in my head, this could be, if they didn't like it, I would take it back, throw it away and not charge them for another one because they gave me that, that leeway because they trust me. And I, I like that trust. And, and it's like gambling in a way where I was, I, I like that kind of a gamble. I, they, they have faith in me and they like what I've created in my uh, Instagram or whatever that they trust to do that. And, and that's, what's cool. And, and I'm starting to get that rather than just shaker kitchen every single time, like, you know, it's like white shaker and white Oak. Like it's, it's like, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful combo, but like you get burnt out doing mm -hmm. that same thing. Well, it's interesting bringing up the Instagram side because what I found from our market, you know, I, I look back early in my career, and this is probably similar to you, John, where, you know, I was doing everything, any project our company was. And, and I remember sitting down with a client, and it's one thing to sit there and try to, I don't, I don't want to say educate, but at least communicate to the client and say, okay, Brad, so what you're telling me, and this is the client's perspective, he says, so you're telling me that this other builder's at $2 million a year, 
2.3 million for nicer drywall. You know, that was his comment. And it made me think because how are we communicating, you know, whether it be the level of product or detail or supervision or systems, I mean, whatever it may be, it's really hard to do that. But what I found is, okay, fast forward five years from when I had that meeting five years ago, I've had now time to sit there on different social media platforms and networking. And I have product in the market where clients can walk through and they can see the quality. They can see, call it thought leader, call whatever as we share, you know, hey, we're getting into building science. We're doing a net zero house. Clients will gravitate that, right? Then they really see, okay, there is a stark difference, right? It's just like a car to car lot, you know, from a luxury car to maybe a standard entry level. Yeah, the price tag's different. The square foot price is different, you know? But there's a huge difference in quality and execution yep. and customer service and white glove service, right? All these things play in and it doesn't just happen overnight. That's similar to you, John, where you're chasing stuff, but there comes a point when people recognize, if I hire John, I get something quality and that means something. Yeah, you know, it, it's very similar in the fact that like, what I, I don't know that the customers knows, but I feel that they do. A lot of times I'm fixing other people's mistakes. On jobs. And, and like you were saying about the sheetrock, a good sheetrock job that costs more, it's not just the sheetrock. <laughs> it, it translates to your cabinets because now, you, now hopefully, <laughs> your walls are straighter, the, the spackle jobs are better so that you get a cleaner filler, that you're not looking at a wavy gravy filler on the wall or your countertops go in and they're not scribing a million. So it's like looking out for the next trade. Each trade, you pay a little extra, your framing's better. Now your sheetrock's going to be better. Now it's like building a foundation. Once if the foundation is good, everything else above it's going to get better and better and better. And um, so what they don't understand is by doing the better sheetrock, you even though you're paying extra for that, it's going to make everything else look that much better at the end product. And to your point, it's the tools and resources. I mean, I look at a good framer when they're done framing the job and they're coming to pick up. You know, they have furring strips and they have levels and they're straight lining the house. And then you have the drywaller that's shimming drywall. I mean, there are drywallers that do that. And it's such a different level of detail that to your point now, when all the trades follow, when wood flooring goes in and you have these pony walls and corners that aren't crooked and cockeyed, I mean, it makes a massive difference right into level of detail. For you, John, I mean, this is why, why, why leave New York? If you had a great business there, you're successful, great reputation, plenty of work. Why do you pull the plug and say, okay, Phoenix it is? You know, it was a, it was a lot of reasons. Um, uh, for one, for the simpler reasons, it was the cold weather. I, I, I was getting sick of the. I used to I love the, the cold. cold. <laughs> I, I couldn't. I couldn't do it anymore. Like, and shop space and everything was so expensive. It's so cold that you know you're wearing gloves in the like in your shop, and it's like even colder in the shop than it is outside. It's 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 rough and. My thought was, or my my family's thought, my wife, was that I could come here where it's less money to live and maybe I wouldn't have to work as much. Now, the only problem with that is I, I like, I love work. I love my family and I love spending time with them, but I, I love to work. So working a lot isn't always a bad thing for me. But that was the plan, to, for me to scale back my work and get away from the cold. And we didn't want to move somewhere where we knew nobody. So my wife has her parents and her sister lives here. So we said, let's visit Arizona and check it out. And if we like it, let's make the move. And so we visited her. We stayed here for like two weeks, I think. And um, we liked it. So 
When did you come down? Was it in the spring or was it in the summer? It was, I don't even remember. It was the spring because um, my sister-in-law's, well, my brother-in-law, he works for the Stadium 84. So we got to see the spring training game when we came down. Um, so it was, it was definitely Did warm. it hit you your first summer here? No, I didn't mind. I, all I thought to myself was I could deal with this way more than I could deal with the winter because the winter is not just cold. Then you get the snow and the ice and you can't drive anywhere. It's, it's, it's brutal. You know, it's um, so funny because I'll get comments that, you know, everyone says, well, at least in, when it's cold, you could put more layers on it. I'm like, no way. No. Like, it's just so hard in construction. I, for me, I can handle July all day long, even come from San Diego. Like I love the heat to me. It's yeah. way easier. So how does it differ contractor wise? When you look at the GC in New York, as opposed to the GC here, is there a difference in uh, communication or process? In my experience here now, um, I can't speak for everybody, but the contractors I dealt with in New York were um, more, I don't want to say more on top of it, but they, they had guys, just like when I worked with my father, they had guys who actually were there babysitting and, and people who would be there, who knew the trade very well and w- would make sure, all right, the electricians are here. For for one example, I did this law office, this whole entire law office, and the uh, this girl Carissa, she was the project manager for the job. The first day on the job, she came in with like laminated binders for every trade, and on each each room that we did, it would. This tell, is in New York. Yeah. Okay. It would say every trade that was in this room because it was a whole law office, every room. And she would get all of them in the room and be like, all right, any problems with this? You know, the electrician, you're here. The outlet's in the right place. Plumber, any questions for all you guys? All the contact info was there. And it was very, you know, went as smooth as possible for a job for me. And a, a lot of the contractors were like that in New York. And on top of that, I, I worked a lot for more customers in New York. Here, I, I, I don't work for customers, really. It's either designers or contractors. And that's another big thing. A lot more homeowners um, I worked for, just straight for the homeowner in New York. Did you like that more? I mean, how's the relationship between you and the end consumer direct as opposed to working through a designer or builder? I I did like it better working for the customer. How come? Because um, I could give them, I, I can't, uh, when I speak with the contractor, I can't. I have to watch what I say because I don't want to get the contractor in trouble. If there's things that I don't like that the contractor did, I can't really put them out. But I feel bad for my customer because I know it's not right. So I'll say something to the contractor, and I've sent it here many of times, and I'd be like, "Listen, I don't care about redoing this. Just make sure that this is right, you know." And sometimes they do, sometimes they don't, and it puts me in a tough spot because I have a conscience. I feel bad. Because I know something's not right, and I've I've encountered that numerous times here. Um, where when I work for the customer, I can let them know, and and a lot of times like um, because I I grew up not just building cabinets. My father was a general contractor, so I worked for him my whole life. We did extensions, kitchens, bathrooms, dormers, and we were like a frame to finish construction company. So we oversaw everything. The only things we didn't do is electrical, plumbing, and towards the end we got. We stopped doing the spackle. We would have these guys come and do the spackle, but um, we did everything. So I, I kind of know my whole way through the trade from frame to finish. And then after that, I went beyond finish and built cabinets and furniture and stuff like that. So 
when I saw things that aren't right, I, I one, know how to fix them, and two, would like my customer to know. Um, so if I understand correctly, I mean, when you're working with the customers, not only the communication side, but there's opportunity where you're almost more of a manager to help put these pieces together. Whereas when you're working with the contractor, there are other trades involved. There are other parties and you're trying to tiptoe around, yeah. you know, making sure you're not throwing someone on the bus and it's just a little bit different process. Yeah. Like when, when I see I'm on the, when I was working for that one guy doing his whole house um, and the cabinet guys were there to, to uh, the countertop guys were there to do their uh, template. I couldn't help, but make sure that they were templating it correctly. correctly. Because, you know, I, I line my cabinets, not to the wall, but it has to be straight because the walls aren't straight. And I wanted to make sure that they were doing the same with their ca countertop. And, and I wanted to make sure that the stove was going to fit because it had specific measurements that they needed for the stove, which, funny story, it didn't because they didn't listen to me, <laughs> even though I stood there. But like, I have to sit there and be like, this isn't really my place. And I don't want to get in trouble telling them something that I shouldn't be telling them. Yeah. You don't want to take ownership and be culpable. Exactly. Even though there is a mistake happening. I mean, that would be hard to watch to say, hey, this is inefficient. It's done incorrectly. Right. That it, It's interesting because, and this goes back to your comment about the systems. And so when you look in New York and were these bigger firms, I mean- one thing I've seen, and this is a big problem in our industry, is that, and this is feedback I get from clients too, is that, hey, I hired this contract. And it's not just prevalent to Phoenix. I think a lot of markets are this way and uh, where they may not have a superintendent assigned or the job's running itself or there's no process, there's no organization. And, and you see how key that is because you know someone who's in the trade, such as yourself, John, how hungry you are for someone to, hey, give me some clear direction. Make sure these other guys are templating right and understand the appliances that'll be installed. Understand if there's a backsplash or not. So can we undercut the drywall? You know, does it have to be scribed? I mean, there's so many different level of detail. If someone's not there walking them through, it's just yep. things get missed. And that is why there's poor quality and poor construction and poor experience with the client. Yeah. And and I think it goes to the fact that it's it's much larger scale. The building here is insane. Where in New York, you're not doing a lot of new building. You know, it's all old already. So you're either adding on or, or redoing work. And a lot of the work contractors that I worked for back in New York, they were smaller. And I don't know if it's just what I was accustomed to, but um, it was more like me and my father, we, we were the crew. We didn't have an A crew, B crew, C crew, like these guys were coming in, those guys were coming in. It was just us. So we were there every day. So when we did one thing, we knew that we had to do it in a certain way so that the next guy's job would be easier. But the next guy's job was our job because we were the next guys. But even if it wasn't, we'd, like you said, with the shims, with the sheetrock, that was us. We would, you know, obviously crowning all our lumber, but even on, on walls that weren't structural, we'd be saw cutting them, straightening them, and then scabbing them so that they were pinned straight, as, as close to straight as we could go, so that when we did the sheetrock, it was less shimming. So that when that was done, when we put our cabinets to the wall, they're, they're more, everything falls and it's like dominoes, you know, it's, it, it, each thing has to be right for the next thing to be right. And here I noticed uh, on the people that I've worked with, some, was that wasn't there. This guy's job was to install this and that's all he thought about and that's all he cared about. He was done with his job. He's done. The next guy comes and he'll be like, well, this isn't right. So I could only do it like this. So this is my job. And now that's done. And then. At the end of the line, that one little thing, then the next one, 
it gets bigger and bigger and then it becomes a bigger problem. And a lot of times it ends up being my problem to fix at the end, installing the final stuff like the cabinetry or the molding or anything like that. Cause they all, they all equate at the end. They all line up like even just walls. Uh, that's my biggest complaint here is like the sheetrock is so out of level. It's so bad. So and bad. the framing's so bad. It's so bad. Like it, 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 it just blows your mind sometimes. Like I'll have fillers on an eight foot cabinet that'll go from half an inch to inch and a quarter. Like, and that is just. I'm sure when you're a, looking at that, it just drives you nuts. 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 It, it, it drives me crazy. And, and I have to look at the customer and I don't know why I could see my father in my head telling me, don't bring this to people's attention. But I'm like, <laughs> I can't do anything about that. This isn't me. I, you know, I can't, you know, and the corner beats like, it's like they're puttying with like a four inch knife. Cause they, they go from like that and they taper in so hard. So when you're trying to get a cabinet in and like a, co a niche or something, yep. it's really hard to get them because it's so built up. It's not everybody. It's obviously. And it's know. not. And we don't want this to seem like it's a downer on the industry, which you're not at all, John. But really what this, the, the crux of this conversation is that, that even in your eyes from the trade side, there's a stark difference between companies that are organized, that have appreciation from the trade, that have a supervisor there, that understand their systems. Because really what this comes down to is a better client experience, a better experience for you. And the, at yeah. the end of the day, if our trades, you know, and our trade partners are profitable, if you can come in, perform, be, you know, be efficient, be safe and get your product in, it's going to allow you to come back and to yeah. take that phone call when I'm calling you because, hey, if I'm working for Brad or whoever this other GC is that this is done right, I could come in and be out and I know he's going to be ready when he tells me. Yeah. And, and, and it works for both of us because you'll make my work easier. My work will go in better. You'll look good. Everything will look good, you know, and it's just, it's just a better experience. And I have met a few contractors here and they're the ones that I really do enjoy working with, um, who, who share similar mindset to me as like, you know, for me, the customer is first. It really is like money. I, I, this is where I'm, I am a horrible businessman. Money is the last thing on my mind. My customer is getting the right job and, and being happy. And I make tons of mistakes as well. I'm a human, like, you know, but I'll make sure that I make my mistakes right. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll correct them in any capacity that I can. Um, and I've met contractors here that share the same uh, values as me. And I'm sure there's a lot of them, but I've only come across a few and, and I enjoy working with them. Um, you know, and, and back to when I worked with my dad in construction, we had similar relationships with our customers like they were our friends because we were part of their lives for so long three months you know and we would go out to dinner with them like we'd spend time like they became friends they were like almost like family and that was like every single job and when i came here there was a very much of a disconnect it was just like we're contractors you're our client and this is the job that needs to get done and there's nothing wrong with that it was just a new experience for me to um you know I like to be personable. I like to like my clients and like the contractors that I work. It makes me want to work with them more when when I, I enjoy them as a friend or uh, anything like that. So what advice would you give to someone as they're thinking about how could I build a better rapport relationship with my client or my trade partner? You know, what are maybe steps you and your dad did or that others could do to, you know, bridge that connection and make it more of a personal experience as opposed to just a transaction? 
you know, I feel like being honest. And um, sometimes, or a lot of times, it's not the right fit between a customer and yourself. And I feel like gauging that from the beginning is very important because it's going to only be better for the customer. If I don't feel like I'm right for a customer, then I'd rather put them onto someone that they would be more happier with than to force something just because, oh, this job, I need this job or I want this job because, um, you know, I, I, I need to fill this slot. I'd rather not have that slot filled and, but do the right thing for the customer and myself. Cause a lot of times you'll get the, I'm, I'm sure you've had those red flags when you meet the customer and not that there's anything wrong with the customer, but their views and, and, and their thing, their, uh, expectations of what's going to happen are not coinciding with yours. And you know, you could get the job, but do you want the job? Are you the right person? You know, I feel like I could work with anybody, but do I want to work with anybody? And so I feel that if, if contractors are more honest, not that they're not honest, but that's just a way I feel it could help bridge that gap with a customer. If they're, if they're just honest, like, you know, the whole thing with like social media, I feel it's like uh, a lot of it is, I don't want to say disingenuous or not honest, but I don't trust it as much as like when people used to hit me up on Instagram and stuff like that. Oh, I love your work. I'm like, come to my shop, see my work. Then we can talk and, and see if we're a right fit uh, to go forward from there. But um, that's interesting. If I interrupt you, because uh, social media, there's a lot of pros to it, right? And it, as you mentioned, especially coming in, which we could talk about here in a second, how that's helped build your bandwidth and portfolio yeah. and especially your lead generation. But at the same time, it could be misleading, right? Because we can present a picture that may not show all the details or the difficulty getting to that point or what does right. it really look like? Does it perform? And to your point, it's interesting to hear this perspective where, yeah, some may reach out and say, John, I love your work, incredible craftsmanship. And you're like, well, Come see if this is real. Come to my shop. Yeah. Come see how I'm building this to make sure it all lines up. Yeah, it, it, it's like it's the truth because you know, growing up, my dad he he gave me a lot of uh, advice and stuff, and and I didn't appreciate it as much as a kid. But one thing he would always tell me is like, you know, pictures tell lies, and it's it's so true. Mm. And I understand that it's a necessary evil. You have pictures to have tell it. lies. I've never heard that. Yeah, and it's the truth. Like, how many times? I've been on many jobs that I've seen posted do not look like the post, you know, and, and, and that's just the God's honest truth. And um, that's why I would implore people to, to see my work, touch it, feel the finishes, you know, that, that you see on Instagram and you write me that it looks so smooth or that's nice finish or whatever. Come and feel it. See it for yourself. Like, you know, um, I, I would I would guarantee you that you'll be more impressed with it in person than you would in the picture. And that's how I, I would hope. That's my goal is always trying to, to one up. So pictures are cool and all. And like, you see a lot of them with professional photographers doing all these stuff. And this, I totally get it. It's hundred percent needs to be done. But at the end of the day, I'd love to see those in real life and compare the two where I would rather mine look grainier and not as good online and come to my shop and see them and be more impressed than the picture. For those of you that have listened to the podcast, you know how big of a fan we are of Build-A-Trend and that we have used this software for the last four years. And many of the guests that we've brought on the podcast are also Build-A-Trend users. And in this day and age, with as busy as all of us are in construction, as complicated as it is with escalation pricing, lead times, 
tracking, organization. All of us need a good project management software to help simplify and organize our business. And there are a couple features that we love a ton about Build-A-Trend. And one is the owner portal. The other is the daily logs. And these are features that we use daily, right? Half of my clients are out of state. And as an owner, it is so imperative how we communicate with our clients, with our team, with our customers. And through Build-A-Trend, this allows us that quick connection. They can check at any time. We can communicate with them. We're up to date. This has actually helped us win jobs, win projects because of that organization, especially at pre-construction. And Build-A-Trend also offers a ton of service on the back end, training and understanding and workshops you know, to help us use our software effectively. They also have the podcast, The Building Code. To learn more, head to buildertrend.com backslash AFT to get a 60-day money-back guarantee on your Build-A-Trend account. That's 60 days to make sure you love this product with no pressure, and I know you will. This episode is brought to you by Pella Windows. When it comes to building homes at AFT, almost every project has Pella Windows. And they've been just an incredible partner of ours. And locally, Sammy and Adam, they are not only amazing business partners behind us, but they are super close friends. And I speak on the podcast all the time about the importance of relationships, right? Relationships with our customers, with our vendors, with our suppliers, because at the end of the day, I'm only as good as those that help our brand and assist us in our projects to to take it from the ground up all the way to completion. And if we didn't have partners such as Pella, there's no way we'd be who we are today. Over the years, we've built this amazing relationship. When we call them or email them, they respond. They're quick. Their, their company culture, their integrity, their honesty, you know, they are always there to do what's right for us and the customer. They can do anything from small replacement projects to large custom homes and even multi-million dollar commercial projects. And also, when you think about their product line, they can do ultra-contemporary, historical preservation, and large traditional projects. So for anyone, any scale, any size, they're the ones to call. They're here local. You know, they have an amazing Instagram. Make sure and give them a follow to see what they're doing. So if you need windows and doors, give Sammy and Adam a call. We stand behind Pella. We love what they do, their culture, their brand, and especially their quality. And if you want to learn more about Pella Windows, check our show notes. We'll have everything tagged there so you can give them a follow and have their contact information to reach out. What are some of the advantages when you look at as you're trying to begin this market? What are some of the platforms you went after? How did that help build, you know, your relationships? Yeah. So um, as much as I feel like I dislike Instagram, it it brought me to where I am here in Arizona. Because in New York, I had three followers and they were my three friends. And <laughs> we would just send silly pictures of just nothing. There was nothing to do with work. I got here and a couple of guys from another state told me, yeah, push this, but do it. And I did. And um, it, it's what got me busy here. So that's how designers and people saw my work. I would post a lot of my old work from New York and stuff like that. So as much as I feel like I don't like it, it I can't I can't hate it because I would be fairly nothing without it because it it, it let a, a wider audience see what I could do to get me in the door. I don't feel like it got me to where I am, but it it, it opened those doors for me to show people my work. So what, as a woodworker, and you do custom woodwork, and there's a vast array there, you know, from cabinetry to so many things, what is the most difficult part of your job or something that you deal with that maybe most of us listening just can't, can't comprehend or are unfamiliar with? It's the time, time management for me <clears throat> as far as like, um, if something's, I'm not a production shop, so it, it sounds so simple. I just got to build these cabinets. Well, 
sometimes things go wrong. Something goes wrong with the finish. I'm not going to rush it and um, try to fix it in a, in a way that can still get the job done on the time. I, I used to tell people, even in New York, sometimes I would have this issue and I would tell them, any extra time that this is taking is only going to benefit you. I'm not going out, hanging out. I'm trying to make your job that much better because I wasn't happy with it the way it was going. And I had to redo something or, or move from there. So I would say that that and the actual part of running a business is the hardest. That is by far the hardest part for me. So how do you do that? I mean, for John, <clears throat> what's amazing to me and the reason I want to ask you is that uh, one man band, I mean, it's easy to say that because you are, you're, you're self-performing the craftsmanship, you're running the company, you're doing bids, you're meeting with clients. I mean, you're balancing so much in a day. I mean, how is that trying to balance all aspects, being just yourself? Yeah, and family. It's and hard. And family. It's yeah. hard. Yeah, you know, and then like, you know, when I blew I blew my knee out, when I when I blew it out, I was trying to take positives out. And the only positive I had was for two months I was home with my kids. Got to see them come home every day from school. And that kind of made me take a step back and say, all right, I'm not working Sundays anymore. I mean, that sounds ridiculous because I did. I worked Monday through Sunday. And I, my days, I get, I go in at 5.30 and I go home 7, 8, 9 o'clock. I mean, and that's fine. I'm not complaining or anything. I, I enjoy it. But um, it takes me that long because I do have to, some days, I can't be in the shop. I got to go on estimates like tomorrow. So when I can't be in the shop for a couple hours, that's a huge Systems loss. down. That's, you know, nothing is getting done. So um, I have to put in that that extra days and and has, has it ever brought the question maybe I should hire I mean what is there a reason why you've wanted to stay small or not hire or or is it there's there's a couple of reasons one I'm a very much a control freak and I I know that's it my father would tell me that all the time it's a huge hindrance he would always tell me one man doesn't equate to 50% more work another man is like 80% more work getting done uh, and he's right because I could run out and someone's doing something sanding parts but I would just redo it anyway. So, um, and the other thing is being successful and creating a, a successful business is all relative in, in all different people's eyes. So <clears throat> for me being a one-man shop and staying a one-man shop, I'm not looking to be a multimillionaire. What makes me feel successful and know that my business is running properly is that my family's happy. My kids are happy. They have a house. They're able to eat and, and we're able to do the things that they want to do. So by me staying as a one man, I'm able to control that better, in my, in my opinion. It makes certain portions very hard, but in other portions, uh, I crave that. Well, I love that you shared that because the key to business, and it doesn't matter if you're a one-man shop, one-woman shop, right? And it doesn't matter if you're a conglomerate and you have thousands of employees, the reality is, John, you have to understand your personality, what drives you, what motivates you, and your comfortability level, right? Am I okay delegating tasks? Do I need to control that? Am I you know, more involved? But understanding yourself and understanding your goals and understanding what makes you happy, that's going to be the key to business. It's, it's not about the dollar, right? There's so many different definitions of success and happiness, and you need to find what, what fits you. Yeah. Exactly. And like, I know for a fact that I can hire two or three guys and I can make a lot more money, but 
Would I be happy with the product I'm putting out? Would I be happier as far as my business is concerned? I, I don't think so. And it's not like I'm um, set. It, you add more people and it's just inevitable. Quality is going to go down. It has to. It's because they're not going to do it how you would do it. And you could teach them only to a certain degree. And then before long, they'll leave and go with someone else. And then you got to reteach someone else and... Uh, I don't mind teaching people. I actually enjoy doing that. I'll help anybody. But um, at the end of the day, the more guys you hire, each level is going to go down because they're not as um, vested in it as you. It's it's my name. It's not their name. So th they want to open up their own business maybe someday. So they're just learning until they can move on to the next thing that's better than working for me. And it, it um, that's just my opinion to it. So, you know, I see lots of guys who just have a couple of guys in a cabinet shop and it makes everything easier. Installing is obviously easier than having be just one person. Well, yeah, as you get into hiring, I mean, it is there, there can be a disconnect. Every arm you add on is a extension of yourself, but you start to lose. It's like playing a telephone game, right? Yeah. That if you play that telephone game long enough, by the time it gets in, it's a totally different interpretation right. of the original phrase. And so you have to understand what systems and, to your point, understanding that and knowing your personality, John, that's what really makes you successful, right? Um, and then you plan around that once you know a little bit about that. So even from the maybe the more technical side, how does it differ when you're – it's one thing to say I'm going from New York to Phoenix and I'm going to build a new client base and contractor. They're going to communicate. They're going to have different systems, you know, terminology, personality, you know, it's so much different. How does it change – even as you mentioned, we were talking about this earlier, climate, humidity, yeah. shop conditions, right? H how does that affect, you know, the woodworking craft? Uh, it helps it. Everything's dry. It's more um, predictable what the wood's going to do. So when I make a panel door, um, I can make my gaps tighter. I can make my panels tighter. I don't got to pre-finish uh, pre all my panels before I put them together because I'm not worried about that shrink. Um, so there's, there's a lot of differences. The one major difference I find is the kinds of materials and things I could get here where in New York, it wasn't even a question. You wanted a wood from a tiger's claw. They had it in stock at the local store. Here, you want something like uh, like rosewood. And, oh, I don't know. I don't know where we could get uh, <laughs> Or you wanted in a plywood. Like, I can't even get pre-finished uh, walnut plywood like easily here. Like it's like, oh, we have to find that in order. Like where in New York, all my materials were just like, it wasn't even, if someone, if a customer had some crazy idea that they had, I, I was just like, okay, no problem. They had it. Here it's, they'll say something or I'll say something because I'm so used to that. I'll be like, oh, we could do it like this. And I catch myself. I'm like, let me see if I'm able to even get that material to to give you what I'm what I'm wanting to do. That's a very tricky part here. Do you feel it's because New York has a little bit more international flair influence that it's you know? I do, I guess. Yeah, I, I really can't put my finger on why because we're so close to California. Like you think that we could get like you think that they would. I don't know. I really don't know why. Uh, it's a fight a lot of time, and the material. That's another thing. Um, learning new suppliers here and they just now are, are starting to learn me like they used to send me stuff and i tell the truck driver yep, turn around send it back this is not no way i'm like did anyone even look at this before they put it on a truck i i don't want it 
And they got sick of get trucks going back and forth that finally <laughs> they would send me like, you know, they were probably like, oh man, this guy again. Like, you know, I don't care. But they know, like, you know, you had landed on here. He he went to one of my suppliers and he was like, oh yeah, I work with John. And they're like, oh yeah, John, he <laughs> he makes us do this. And he's like, yeah, I'm one of his contractors. I appreciate that he does that. And I'm like, yeah, that's right. You know, because, um, you know, we're in New York. It's not that it was New York versus Arizona. It was those relationships that we were talking about that they knew me in New York. So they knew what I was looking for. They knew the product I put out. Where here, I have to relearn a whole network of people to to learn that and um, get the materials that I am looking for. Well, that relationship side's key, right? I look at this relationship with our vendors and how valuable that is for me that now when there's supply chain issues, right? Yeah. And having those relationships, I can have product expedited. I can find ways around that challenge that we're having. And the same for you, that it takes time for the end clients to understand, okay, what's John's methodology? What's his process? And as you educate them and as you collaborate, well, then that opens that up where, hey, there's less disconnect in the future because you set that expectation to understand, hey, when John's on this job or you're working with Landon, who you know, who's, knows what he's doing, then yeah, everything's lined out as it should be. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the vendors, if you can't get your material, you can't do your job. So that relationship with your vendors and your suppliers is like very important. So have you had an issue with supply chain with products? Yeah, I have uh, hinges, drawer slides. I had to keep switching to different kind of drawer slides. And that's tough for me because, like I said, I'm such a control freak. I was Bloom, yep. hardware, my whole life. I never had a problem with it. Well, I couldn't wait for it anymore. So I had to switch to a new thing and I had to tell the customer. And they're like, I don't care what kind of drawer <laughs> slides. I, you know what I mean? But I, I'm worried about it. And so then I'm trying this brand, Headage. Oh, all right. They're supposed to be good. I like it. I was using it. And they, then they can't, you can't get Headage anymore. Now on to Celiche. It's like, it's, it's tough. And then getting material. Um, last week I was just waiting for pre-finished plywood and it was supposed to come today. Didn't come. They're telling me <laughs> next week. So I, what am I going to do? I have no material to do shelves. I have a whole kitchen that's done, but they have no shelves. It's, it's so what's tough for you is, I mean, I'd look at that. I mean, I, I deal with that same frustration. It's hard for the clients to fully understand. I mean, most of them are aware because it's yeah. pretty prevalent, not just in our industry. You go try to buy a car. There's no cars on the lot, right? Yeah. So it's, it's all these industries where they don't have supplies. But to your point is that, you know, even hardware, I mean, this is a very common theme with anyone who does woodwork or cabinetry that I speak with, not just locally, but across the country. They can't get hardware. Yeah. How does that affect when you're working with different brands? I would imagine there's some sort of education. Yeah. You know, as well, and time, which is now going to cost you time going to new hardware and templating and, you know, however you're building, you know, your jigs and everything in, in person. I mean, I would imagine that also changed your learning curve. Yeah. Like <clears throat> one of my jobs, um, I drilled them, not thinking for a certain hinge, <laughs> you know, waited for the hinges. I, I said, I want to be ahead of the game. Let me drill all the doors, yeah. get everything finished. They came and it's two millimeters different. Oh. I'm like, Oh my God. Like, you know, luckily I could get a plate that goes on the cabinet that pushes it out two millimeters, but had they not had that. Yeah. What do you do? What do you do? You remake all the doors, you know, it's, uh, you know, that's being a little eager on my part and not looking into it, but you try to do those things because you're trying to get the product to your customer because you don't want them to have to wait. And I'm too small to stockpile 10,000 hinges. You know, I, I, I just, I just can't. Can't have that inventory. Right. So 
that's that's tough for me as well. Like like you know, stockpiling any kind of stock, like pre-finished plywood, I order it like every week. So it would make sense if I could order two bunks of it and just have it sitting in my shop, but I don't have the room, you know, to, to do that. So those are some issues. Supply and there's also cost things too. You're trying to factor and having sure. a ton of inventory. I mean, that's a lot of overhead for you. It is, and um, I keep everything as 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 tight even, as you can. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. controlled. Yeah. Very controlled. Um, I don't like to over- Especially financially as you're looking at that product yep. in, product out. Exactly. Like I, I don't want to be, I don't overextend the job. Like I don't, I don't ever take from this job to finish that job. I know that always gets you in trouble. So like uh, I play it as close as I can and, and get the jobs done with what I have until my final payment and then move on to the next. So. Now, with your product, are you pre-finishing a lot of it? Are you doing a lot of the finishes yourself, like paint booth? I mean, are you outsourcing that? Oh, no. That's where I'm a control. I build my own doors. I make my own drawers. I do my own finishing. There's pretty much 99%. So before we get into finishing, is there a reason why, without calling out any manufacturers, is there a reason why you don't pre-order doors and you make them yourself? Yeah, I I ordered doors. Everyone here, when I got here, I always made doors. I made doors in New York. It was just part of the process. I liked it. I enjoyed it. So I had all the machinery, the tooling uh, to do that. I moved here and one of my good friends who's a cabinet maker, who we think very much alike, he's like, just order your doors. What are you doing to yourself? I'm like, I don't know, man. Like, So I did. They were all wrong. <laughs> I, I still have a pallet of them sitting in my thing. They're like, we'll remake them. I'm like, no, I, I don't want you. Re- I'll make them. So I lost the time and I made the doors. And I didn't even like the quality of them. They weren't horrible. They just. It didn't fit the brand and what you're doing. What, yeah. Like they were too gappy at the where the panel fits in. So when you spray finish it, now you're going to have that dark line around the center panel, which looks horrible. And I'm not caulking them. That's just not to be done. Um. It just wasn't, I, I think it would have looked fine at the end result to 90% of the people, but I, I, I didn't like it. So, I so just, how, how difficult is the finish? How does that vary, you know, finish in a product? You know, again, humidity, climate in New York as opposed to Phoenix. Oh, uh, it's so nice here. In, in New York, I got pushed over to Waterborne a long time ago because of regulations and stuff. Like if you were shooting solvents and stuff like that, and, you know, fire marshal was there every week. You need to have your MSD. I mean, you still need to have your MSDS yeah. and all that stuff. But um, they were they were just on you. So I switched over to water base, maybe eight nine years ago when it wasn't even that good yet. But I just figured this is what I got to do because I can't I can't control the other problems with it. So when I moved here, this is like the wild west. Everyone's still <laughs> shooting solvents and. Um, <laughs> It's it's just crazy. And so I got into the Waterborne here and um, it's a fantastic finish now, the Waterborne. It's just like you ever notice here because it's so hot and and that, oh, that's that's the other thing. The humidity in New York finishing would take 10 times longer. It just dries so fast here. It dries so fast here. I'm able, I could spray a job in the morning. And install it later that day if I had to. If it was like a rush scenario, um, it doesn't really cure for 72 hours, but it's dry to the touch in like 10 minutes for waterborne. Lacquer, I couldn't even imagine. It would be dry as it's coming out of the gun. <laughs> but, um, but lacquers here, they tend to yellow a lot. Like the whites and stuff like that, in a couple of years, they turn like yellowish white. And, um, and they're very hard, if you noticed. Like a lot of cabinets here, they'll crack 
that just the paint at the seams of the shaker doors and stuff because lacquer nitrocellulose and that kind of stuff is extremely hard finish and the waterborne is very flexible it's kind of like bumper paint on a car that's like got that flex to it so it's a very good finish for this climate here because the, the here it's so dry it actually pulls the solvents out of the materials and dries them out and the finishes fail but the solvents the waterborne's hold up extremely well here so are you finishing all your cabinetry yourself yeah I, I buy pre-finished plywood for my interior of my boxes, but all my doors, parts, everything like that, I spray. I enjoy spraying. I've always have. It's, been, it's like probably one of my favorite part of the job. What's amazing to me, and I, you know, in my experience, the separation, especially as we're talking about quality and execution, when you find a really good painter, right, a good trim carpenter, you know, a good woodworker such as yourself, good drywaller, right? I mean, it's amazing the distinction and the difference there between a quality job and not so much because a good painter, you know, their ability. And, and I've seen this where you may have some guys using caulk and other guys using Bondo and the amount of time and prep they're spending and then they come spray and what that finish ends up looking like. Yeah, um, definitely. I see, you know what you see a lot here is on-site finishing. And, um, you know, that's a whole nother beast. It's, it, it's fine. It comes out great. But coming out of a shop, I, I'd love for you to see one of my finishes and compare it to some of your other ones and just to see the difference of if there is that much of a difference and what it is like. I kind of pride myself on my finishes, I feel. It's, a, it's an enjoyment of mine. And um, I use high quality materials. I use Renner paints. They're from Italy. Uh, they have hardener in them, just like um, automotive, you know, similar to automotive, not nearly as hard. But um a lot of guys I've met here who do their own finishing, they're like, yeah, but that stuff is so expensive. But at the end of the day, that little extra you're paying. is performance. It's performance. And then that customer is going, you know, I had a, literally, I'm not even making this up. I had a customer, who, I built this curved hood for her. And she was just like, well, when the contractor told me it wasn't going to be wood, it was going to be painted. I was nervous. And then all she kept doing was feeling it on the, she's like, but it's so smooth. I love it. And I'm like, you know, it makes me feel good because that's someone's noticing the effort that I'm putting in um, to give them that kind of finish. They didn't ask for it, but that's what I'm trying to give them. So how tough is that when you speak about, you know, doing curve, you'll see curved islands, curve upper cabinets, maybe a curved hood. How challenging is that, you know, just to, to work and with the wood and, you know, add water and, and mold that? I mean, is that... I know, love it. Yeah. A anything that, like, when someone comes up with something that's like, different or hard I, that's what intrigues me like i'm like oh yeah let's do that like that's even if i've never done it before i'm 100 percent game like i know i'll figure it out and i'll get it perfect but that's I, I i like the stuff that makes me think even if i lose money on it i don't care because it's another feather in my cap now i've done that like you know now it's another skill i could put in my my book because you're always learning so whenever someone comes up or or i'll throw crazy ideas out there that sometimes even i'll be like why why did i do that <laughs> But you do it and it comes out great and, you know, it's just not the same as everything else. Something a little different. Well, what's key, John, I'm sure you agree, is that, yeah, maybe the first time you may lose money, the first time it's just trial and error as you're right. learning it. But as you, you know, have gone through that experience of that craft and say, okay, well, I'm going to apply this. And I look at this building a home. It's no different than what you talked about in systems where there's mistakes I've made or my employees have made as, as we're going through the building process. And we make sure that we identify that. And we track it and we have a database and we're accountable. 
So that way, when we go around the second time, we don't make that same mistake, or at least we yeah. know what we're up against. So now if I'm doing this complicated hillside build or you're doing this round of cabinet, you know the time that it's going to take and the duration and the sequencing. And so you- For the uh, next you, time. Yeah. So yeah. now you can set a more clear expectation. Yeah. It's, it's like, I don't think of them as mistakes. I think of them as learning experiences. Yeah. I, you it's know, uh, it's, it, it, I, I learned that and I go, okay, the next time I do this one, I'm not going to do it that way. I'm going to go straight to doing it this way. It'll take me half the time. And, and now I've learned it. So although I say I lost money, but like you said, it's, I didn't lose money. I just learned a new skill. And and that's how I that's how I look at that. Like you know, it goes back way back to like when I grew up working for my father. This guy was old school Italian. This he did not give me a single compliment my entire life. Never <laughs> like nothing was ever good. I was always nervous for him to see my. Even when I stopped working for him and I was working for myself, I'd be nervous when he'd come to my shop because he would always be like, "You're gonna leave that like that?" And I'm like. Like what? 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 And I'm like, I'm, I'm my, you know, even my wife would hate when he would come by because she knew how nervous it made me. Even being a grown man, you know, searching for my dad's approval, it it, it was rough. And it wasn't until he was in the hospital dying, and he told me. I heard him. He was talking to his best friend, and he was Tony. His name was in Tony. He was like, ah, oh, you got to be proud of John. Like what he's become. And I heard him, he said, Tony John surpassed me years ago. That kid has hands of gold. I almost fell over. It's tough, you know, because I craved that my whole life. And to finally hear it, you know, it, it, was, it was hard. But he's the one who pushed me. So that's why I'm always trying to do better. You know, uh, if someone comes up with a cool idea of a job, I, I want to do it, you know, because I don't want to sit on shaker 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 i want to i want to push it you know do something cool it, 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 it was i love that you share that john it got emotional i mean you know for those you're gonna make me tear up just because i lost my father last month you know and um i think a lot of us my dad was the same i mean it's a little bit more tough love for me growing up and you know it was never like hey i love you i'm proud of you but i remember at his passing at the funeral there was a friend of his that came up and he said you know your dad would always say how proud of you he is, you know, and um, it, it, it's yeah. neat to hear that. So I can appreciate that, John, because they had shared some experiences of things he said that I was doing in my career, and he had made the comment, "Hey, I guess you know, for Brad, it's like he's at a point where I don't have to just um, mentor him every day. I mean, he's off on his own. Like I just yeah. have to be there for him." And it, you know, I'm sure for you that was just huge emotion where somebody you're trying to prove and prove, and and really, I would imagine that really set the tone for you, whether it's competitive drive or determination, you know, level of execution and quality that you're just trying to reach this bar that your dad set and it really helped, you know, put you where you are today. I think it it set me not just in my trade, but growing up to be a man. Like, you know, all the things that he would tell you, the the the, the small lessons that I didn't appreciate until too late. You know, I didn't as much as he I didn't hear the things from him, I didn't get to thank him. You know, he, he would always say, John, you, you learn how to work with these, you'll never be hungry. A and he's right. And he taught me how to work with these. Like, you know, may maybe he didn't do the cabinet side, but everything that he pushed me towards, like not giving me compliments, it wasn't because he didn't like what I was doing. It's because he didn't want me to rest on my laurels. He wanted me to elevate myself. Nothing, you know, was, was going to be okay. Uh, I, I used to get mad when I worked for him because... 
a lot of times the boss's son is, the, yeah, he could do whatever he wants. I was not that guy. I was the low man on the total pole. I was the man who had to work. I was always getting yelled at. Like, it was horrible. And I'd be like, why, why are you getting on me? He's like, and he'd pull me aside. He'd be like, because you, I care about you. Them, I don't care about them. You're the one I care about. So it, it was tough. And, um, but I, I appreciate it now more than ever. Um, because he's not here to push me anymore, but. But he set the tone. But he set the tone. So what, what made that decision at, at, at looking back in your career when you said, okay, dad, it's, it's time for me to go on my own. What, what made that transition for you? He was so good at what he did. He was, he, he was just so good. And I, I kind of felt like I was in his shadow. So when I started doing crown moldings and coffered ceilings and stuff like that, he didn't want to really do that. I'm like, huh, this is a little bit of a thing for me. So then he would start pricing them into jobs and like, you know, complaining that he's losing money on it every time. So <laughs> after a while, I kind of would do my own side jobs at night. And, and um, eventually I... I decided to take the plunge and just kind of go off on my, it was a tough decision, you know? Well, it's interesting you say that because there are a lot of listeners in network, you know, whether through Instagram or the podcast have reached out and they're in this tough transition. It may be a family company such as yourself, even at, no matter the size of the operation, right? There's some point where it's like this, this wrestle, if you will, where the, the new generation or the new children that are looking to take over they may, as you, have different aspirations. Well, why don't we do this? Why don't we do this? Here's this idea. Why don't we, you know, change our system? Why don't we have a designer? Why don't we make selections? Why, for you, why don't we do crown molding comfort? And, you know, they're, it's not that they're comfortable, but they've perfected a craft in their, you know, in their genre, in their yeah. realm. And so either there has to be some sort of uh, transition together or like coordination to say, okay, let's do this together, or we separate and now you can go pursue you know, what you're ready to do and then build off of that. Yeah, it, it's, I've got a lot of people ask me questions like, oh, even in New York, like when, like, you know, I want to go off on my own. It's like, it, it, there's no like right time or when you know, it's just when you feel it's right, you, you just got to go 100% and just, just, just dive in and, and, and do it. Because um, when I was doing those things with my father, he was kind of just throwing them off. He wasn't interested in it and it was putting more pressure on me because he would be complaining to me like, you know, I'd want to paint them. He'd be like, no, if they don't like the paint, then you're stuck. You know, so it was kind of what I wanted to do, but not really. So the only way for me to do what I wanted to do was to go off and do it. So when you look back, if you were to start today, I mean, what, what would you have done differently or applied differently or set yourself for, for success more having been in business for so long by yourself? Well, without sounding, um, I, I kind of wouldn't really change anything. I, it's interesting. I, I, I liked my process. I, I would have hated getting into, I think what makes me good in this field is that I've been through, mm -hmm. I loved framing. Oh, that was my thing. Like I loved it. I love doing roof systems. Not like here in New York, we did more like actual rafters and mm -hmm. hips and valleys and, and, and stuff like that here. It's trusses and much more, uh, I guess, smarter building here. Um, but I enjoyed all that. And I think all of that helped me become better because I'm like, oh, this is going to be like this because I know that that'll be like that behind the wall and this will be here. And uh, each step helped me be better at the next step. So I kind of, 
It's really funny you cool. say that because I, I ask that question a lot and I've had discussions offline too outside the podcast and it's always a common theme that, yeah, maybe it's, you could look back at one thing. Well, maybe my marketing strategy or maybe my accounting, or maybe I would have built differently profit margin, whatever. Um, but the reality is there's, there's growth here. There's joy in the journey. There, there's, th- this is a long road and yeah. success isn't defined overnight, right, John, for you, it's not like, Hey, um, I'm successful today and I just started yesterday. I mean, this has been a lifetime. Process. It's been a process. Absolutely. And that process is really what determines your confidence and your capability, even as you dove into specifics about level of finish and the chemicals and how that differs. And, you know, that doesn't just come from this quick handoff. There, there's years of education yeah. and failures and products and restarting. And, and that's a huge part of being an entrepreneur is that methodology and understanding that, hey, I'm going to make mistakes. I'm going to fail. But as I get up and I learn from that and I correct this, you know, I'm going to be better in the future. And so my company and my clients, you know, they'll be the recipient. It's real world school. Like without that education, I wouldn't be where I am today. So I have to be humble and and understand that. So that's why I say I really wouldn't change anything. I've made tons of mistakes in my life as far as business and whatever jobs and, but they've all made me smarter about it today. So without making those mistakes, I, I don't know that I would be where I am. Um, I'm, I'm kind of content with where I am here. Well, your dad's proud. I think it's awesome. It uh, resonates. It's awesome, John. Thank you. I'm sure I know your dad is proud as well. It's, it's, it's tough. Um, no matter how old or how long, you know, for me, it's been six years. Um, but and, and on top of that, I, I just want to throw out there as well. My mother as well, this woman, single mom since I was three years old, worked two jobs, still works to this day, has put that work ethic in me as well. Like, unbelievable woman that I don't give as much credit to as well. I just think, you know, back then they just made people different, a lot tougher, harder than nowadays. And um, I just look at that. Even my grandfather, who came here, was in concentration camps or worker camps and fought his way to this country. So when I, when I look back and me like, man, this is rough. No, it's not. It's not rough. Like what they had to go through to get here and what my mom had to go through working two jobs, having three kids. And, um, that's hard. And same with my father. And, um, I think all that coalesces and and makes me better person today so I don't want to just put it all for my father. There's a lot to do with my mother. There's a lot of maturity there because there's a lot of convenience we have today that, you know, generations past did not have and a lot of comfort, right, that they did not have. And yeah. it's, you know, tested differently. And to your point, I mean, I look at my mom and the example she's been in so stalwart and, you know, same thing. I think, you know, I, I can operate with little sleep. My mom probably sleeps four or five hours a night. I know I get that from her and she yeah. is a workaholic. She raised six kids and worked in the school district. I mean, it's amazing what she did. And that example. And, and John, I think one of my favorite things about this conversation is not only just understand the craftsmanship and kind of your perception and, you know, especially in different markets, but also your determination and, um, you know, that, that personal moment, that emotional side. So, you know, what, what do you have that's upcoming and exciting for those listening? Well, I got, um, just lots of cool kitchen ideas and, uh, just fun stuff. I'm bringing a lot of different finishes. I'm working with that company Renner water-based finishers out of California and we're trying to make cool new finishes. Um, I've been trying. I, I, I used to do serucing a lot in New York. So I've been getting clients to want that here. I, I've been pushing it because I, I love it so Explain what that much. is for those listening. So 
it doesn't have to be painted, but I like it like uh, you can lacquer a wood like oak or something that has a lot of open grain. And then you put um, a patina on it or, or a glaze that just fills in the crevices and then you wipe it off and then you're left with whatever you left on the outside, whether it's like I like black painted cabinets and then I'll saru some white or you could do a much more subtle look. It's like a white oak, just plain white oak with, with some serucing, some white serucing inside the grain. Uh, just a little bit of pop, but I'm trying to get them. I'm working with Renner to make me a metallic gold. Oh, amazing. Ceruse. Yeah. To go with some brass finishes and stuff like That'd that. That'd be incredible. Yeah. Maybe on a walnut with, with the metallic <laughs> That'd be gold. Amazing. Yeah. It would be so subtle, but when the light hits it, it just be that extra pop. That would be really cool. And um, so th those are some fun things that I'm looking forward to. Well, you do some amazing work, John. It's been a pleasure to call your friend and know you for you know five years you've been in Phoenix. And so where can our listeners find you? Oh, they uh, they can find me on Instagram. I'm uh, jcop30. Um, you'll have to you'll have to uh, bear through some of the skateboarding videos, <laughs> but you know I, I try to keep my Instagram as real. It's pretty Keeps much me. Yeah, yeah, right. So, um, but yeah, that's where you can find me, and um, you can always call me and get some work. Well, Johnny, been amazing. I can't thank you enough for making time today. So thanks for joining us. Uh, thank you. Uh, it's just so much fun. I was excited to uh, be here. So thank you all for tuning into the podcast today. And just as a recap, if you check the show notes, they're just going to have all the links for the topics that we discuss. And also one of our favorite features now is the chapters that go through the conversation. So if there's certain topics you want to revisit or listen to, they're outlined by the time that we discuss those. And again, we can't thank you enough for all of your support. Please make sure and download our podcast, subscribe, give us a five-star rating and review wherever you download your podcast.